Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Coach Unplugged is brought to you by great people over at teachhoops.com. For coaches who want to get better. From the Fifth Quarter Studios in Madison, Wisconsin, you're listening to Coach Unplugged. Here is your host, Steve Collins. Hey everybody, happy Wednesday, happy hump day. Let me manage to draw a camel, an imaginary camel for all of you that are listening. Um, Episode 449 of Coach Unplugged. Very excited you decided to join us. Um, we'd like to give a big shout out before we get going on the podcast to our sponsors. First of all, Dr. Dish. Um, the easiest to break up and, and put away shooting machine, in my opinion, on the market. Um, if for no other reason, it's, it's, it crunches down and it can, uh, can keep track of those makes and misses in the model that we have. So we'd love that. Also, we'd like to give a big shout out to... Um, teachhoops.com. I can talk today. Uh, the reason we are able to do this podcast, the reason we're approaching 500 podcasts is because of teachhoops.com. Uh, it is, um, been able to pay the bills, allowed me to have the time to do this and to edit it and to interview the people and to do all the things that I need to do. So make sure you go over and check them out. Um, as of this taping, there's still a 14 day free trial. Not sure how long that's going to last. We're, my partners and I have been kind of delving back and forth on that one, but we would uh, we would love if you came over and gave it a, a run through and, and let us know what you think. Um, I think it's a great deal for what's out there right now, and uh, we'll give you a roadmap to, to make this easy, and if nothing else, you have a mentor. So go over and check that out, and let's head off to the podcast. All right, welcome to Coach Unplugged. Um, first of all, I'm going to publicly apologize for being late this morning. Coach, I'm, uh, I was eight minutes late to this podcast, so I apologize, Coach. Um, I'm gonna, what I'm going to do is, this is the way we normally run these, is I'm going to have you introduce yourself, Coach Rosen, and kind of give your basketball story, which is, you know, when I was reading the stuff yesterday, it's very interesting. Um, I think you're right. It's about perseverance. I love that love that analogy. Um, so just introduce yourself. And then, like I've told other people that I've interviewed, we'll just kind of see what road it takes us down. And uh, we'll just talk basketball. It's a lot of fun. So um, why don't you just introduce yourself to the listeners and 
kind of tell us your basketball journey. Hey, uh, I'm Dan Rosen, and I'm currently the girls varsity coach at Weston High School here in little Weston, Connecticut. Uh, been married to the same wonderful lady for almost 28 years. Where in, I Conne have where in Connecticut, I'm going to interrupt, where in Connecticut is that? Like, what's it by? So, Weston is in the southwest corner in Fairfield County, part of what some people call the the Gold Coast. It's uh, an affluent suburban community with almost no business to speak of. Um, okay. And where uh, parents and kids value education greatly. Right. Where, what's the closest, biggest city? Um, it's the closest city. It's kind of between Bridgeport and Stanford. Um, okay. That okay. Gives you yeah. 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 I love, I love, I mean, I went to school out east. Um, you know, I spent my summers out east. It's great. I mean, the thing about I tell people living out east is like living in Europe. Everything's so condensed. <laughs> it doesn't take very long to go from Connecticut to Rhode Island to New Hampshire. It's the, you know, it, 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 that's true. We you know we we complain because we had a two hour bus trip in our state tournament this year, and I'm thinking. I know there's lots of places where kid, you know, where teams do that regularly just for regular season games. So, oh, it's crazy! Yeah, it's crazy. In northern, yeah, in northern Wisconsin, it's no lie. There's spots where you got to go hour and a half just for a conference game, and then, <laughs> and I might be speaking in Alaska, in in, and I was talking to a coach in Alaska, and uh, you know, they got some of them fly to their games, like at the fly. They, that's the only way they can get to their games. It's crazy. Oh wow! The yeah. became that is a couple of finance dads flew to uh, Bradley Airport for a state tournament game a couple of years ago. But uh, right, <laughs> <laughs> most of our conference games are you know we're we're all forty five minutes. Things are close together and right. And right. If I talk about us being the smallest public school in the county and we have eight hundred kids, and I know you know uh, on our Facebook group we you know all right. the time there's people with a hundred or two hundred kids in the school, and it's just a uh, you know. A matter and of we where you're coming we from. Have 20, we, we have 2,200. We have 2,200. So, you know, I, you know, and I see, you know, 10% of them in a day, maybe, maybe. Right, right. Um, okay, so, yep. All right, okay. sorry. I, I, I get off on a tangent. I just, I didn't know where that was. And it's like, now I can put it, I can put it on my map in my head. So that's good. Okay. All right. Yeah, as I said, a lot of, a lot of the moms and dads, uh, you know, work work in Manhattan and finance or related related fields. Uh, so that's kind of who our who our families are. Um, uh, I live in nearby Trumbull uh, with my wife and two year old bearded Tali Baloo, and have two two grown kids in their twenties who thankfully have uh, apartments and jobs. So that's yeah. all good. <laughs> that's good. Your son works for Bleacher Report. Yeah, Brett's a graphic designer for okay. Bleacher Report and absolutely loves it and loves being involved, you know, in sports as right. does my daughter, who works for a great nonprofit um, called Boston Scholar Athlete, where she works at Fenway High School, which is tough for us being Yankees fans, but <laughs> she works for Fenway High School in, uh, and they place her there and she deals with academics and leaderships for their student athletes and coaches some soccer. So both my kids are doing great. Yeah, and that's awesome. In 
So, yeah, it's really kind of cool. Fenway, I'm a, I'm a Cubs fan. So there's only, for people listening, there's only two parks you have to go to if you're a baseball fan. You have to go to Fenway and you have to go to Wrigley. Now that, now that the Yankee Stadium has been torn down, you don't have to go there anymore. Those are the two. It's, My it's brother not the got, same, Coach. It's I not the same. I still love going, but it, it's not the same. You, no. don't, you don't feel Babe Ruth having been there and Mickey Mantle and Joe DiMaggio. It's just a... It's a corporate. I still love my team, but it's not the same going to right. ballpark. I, I, well, that's when they ripped down Miller Park in uh, Milwaukee. I tell people it's like going to the mall. You know, I'm going to the mall and <laughs> watch a game. That's uh, <laughs> a little bit of that feel. Uh, yeah, it's a little bit of that feel. It's one of the greatest rivalries in sports. So my brother gave me tickets to a um, when I was out there visiting to a, a Yankee uh, uh, Red Sox game at Fenway. Nothing like you. nothing. You should go. Yes, <laughs> you can't describe it. <laughs> uh, I've, been, I've been to Yankee Red Sox playoff games, and it's just that's uh, uh, take what you saw and put it up a whole nother level. It's, oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It's crazy. We love it. So <laughs> okay. So um, how did you? So how did you end up in? How did you end up on the East Coast? Or did you? Is that where you're from? Uh, yeah, we're from here. Both uh, my parents' families are are local. Um, uh, never re- really went more than uh, than thirty miles one direction or another, except for uh, four years at Vanderbilt University. Um, other than that, uh, I've always been a Connecticut guy. Um, so okay. it's what we know and love. Great school. Can I, my son's looking at colleges. Vandy's a, Vandy's become the Harvard of like holy crowd. It's how hard to get into Vandy now. Um, yeah, they wouldn't even look at my application now. To be honest, <laughs> right? It's crazy. It's crazy. The the whole college application thing is like I could do a I could do my own podcast on that. To be honest with you. Yeah. So let's go I'm through. Let's go. <laughs> it is. It's crazy. Let's go through kind of your resume. Sure. So. Okay. Um, one thing that's always kept me involved in sports is I'm currently the associate director and uh, at Camp Walt Whitman in New Hampshire, a traditional, wonderful children's summer camp. And so I was a counselor there first time when I was 16 years old. And at that time, our camp was much smaller and you had to do a little bit of everything. And so I fell in love and just sort of naturally, because I had played a lot of sports growing up, I sort of fell into becoming the basketball, softball, soccer guy. Right. Uh, Where is that camp located? We're in Piermont, New Hampshire, which I know you haven't heard of, okay. uh, which is about 30 miles northeast of Hanover, where Dartmouth College is. Okay, so that, I went to Dartmouth. I, I spend my summers at oh. Crystal Lake outside of Dartmouth. So that's the only reason I ask is when you go north of Dartmouth, then it's really nowhere. So you're, yeah, you're in yeah. the rural. Yeah. <laughs> You go up Route 10 out of out of Dartmouth, and you take a right and go about 10 miles, and we're sort of in the middle of nowhere, where we're we're not the quite the Connecticut River Valley. We're right. on the edge of the mountains and the edge of the lakes region, so you do know the area a little bit. Oh, it's gorgeous! Uh, it's gorgeous. I tell people it's like northern Wisconsin, northern Minnesota, but it's hilly. <laughs> you know, that's, <laughs> the, that's the difference. And great trout fishing. I did some trout fishing when I was in school there. Some great trout fishing up there. There. Um, Great fishing and great hiking and camping. So anyway, I, you know, I took my camp stuff and um, was back in Connecticut after college and was actually didn't have like sort of my a career job and um, was working at a local sporting goods store. Met some people and the 
the local parochial school, St. Aloysius School, across the street from the store, needed help with their basketball program. I'm like, yeah, that sounds kind of fun. I love kids. I think I'll, I'll check it out. Um, so spent about nine, ten years there. Wonderful story. Met my best friend, who's currently my uh, associate head coach, uh, Glenn O'Neill. Um, best friend, best man at his wedding. Met my wife, who was teaching the fifth graders. They wow. were tired of her giving so much homework. They, they said, please take her out. Please take <laughs> her out, coach. <laughs> That's funny. Killing <laughs> us with the homework. So Beverly came to a game. We started dating. And here we are 30-some-odd years later on a long and wonderful journey. Right. Um, so I met my best started in coaching, met my best friend, met my wife. And never made a dime doing that job, but I certainly got more out of it than I put into it. <laughs> yeah, you never know. You never know what, what road's going to take you down. I love that. Exactly. So, uh, and we had a wonderful time there. Grew it. I ended up working with, we had fifth and sixth and seventh and eighth grade teams, boys and girls. And we sort of built it up. It's a tiny little school. But at one point, we had over 75% of the kids in the school playing basketball. Really excited about it. Won a couple league titles. Um, and I really learned about coaching. And I was free to, you know, make mistakes and not know what I was doing. And, of course, at that time, we didn't have all the wonderful resources we have now. So, right. You know, and I, Well, I think you've made a – before you go on, I think you've made a big point for – especially for the younger coaches listening is if you want to coach, coach. Go find a team. So, trust me, someone will take you. And you'll learn in that process <laughs> as much as you would coaching a Division three college team. I'm telling you. Um, uh, yeah, I agree and, 100%. And, and, and the ability. People worry, about, people worry about that too much. They worry about, like, where I'm coaching or what I'm coaching. Just go coach. It's like, you know, if you want to become a shooter, go shoot kind of thing. Right. And the ability to make mistakes when no one who really knows what they're talking about is watching. You know, if, you're, if your first job is a college program people are watching you know like you're in high school you know if you start out as a varsity coach like i know a few people have done yeah your mistakes are noticed and right and yeah they, and yeah I, like, I, I did the Steve Jobs. When Steve Jobs was making those Apple's computers in the garage, they were making a lot of mistakes, trust me, but no one noticed it. <laughs> um, you know, absolutely. Yeah, Elon Musk made mistakes with PayPal before it became PayPal. You know, you make mistakes when it's tiny and no one notices it. And then, but exactly. now if PayPal goes down for three seconds, people will notice it, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Agreed. Um, and so that was a wonderful time in my life. My kids were born two years apart. I took a couple of years off coaching. My wife moved schools and my best friend Glenn gets hired in the Westport, Connecticut school district um, and starts coaching there. And a couple of years later brings me on board as the freshman coach. Um, my first year I had what Ended up, there were four Division One athletes, including a kid named John Bauman, who was a two, became a two-time All-Ivy League player. I thought this thing was easy. <laughs> <laughs> I, had a, I had a D1 volleyball player, a D1 football player, and a D1 track athlete. I, I thought this high school coaching was, you know, no problem at all. And, right. uh, you know, we had a wonderful first year, and I was there nine years, had a great 
great experience, worked with good kids and good coaches. And, you know, after that, you know, we had a couple of winning years and uh, was pretty proud to say we only had one sub 500 year at the freshman level, but mostly just sort of helped uh, prepare kids and learn more about coaching. And being a freshman coach, I think is a wonderful experience and very different. I've been a JV coach too. And I think being a, a freshman coach is actually significantly harder, which a lot of people don't realize. Right. And because uh, you're on your own. And yes. Yes. One I think gets- you, you, you should, you should do the, you should do the beeline beeline start. That's why, you know, now he's the head coach of the Cavaliers. He, right. he, he started as a freshman coach and worked, literally worked his way up. He went to a varsity assistant, high school coach, Juco. I mean, he literally coached every level. Um, and the thing is, you don't learn it unless you've done it on your own. Um, you know, the guy that hopefully it's going to take the job for me someday was an assistant under me and then went and got a, um, a, a D1 assistant job at a, at a Division One college job. And then came back and it's like, well, I could put him with me, but he needs coaching experience on his own. <laughs> like he needs to learn the day-to-day stuff. Not that he didn't know. He knew his X's and O's. It's more of the, how do you run right. the ship? <laughs> you know, how do you captain the ship kind of thing? Um, right. It's been, it's been, it was a perfect move for kids? us. <laughs> how do you run a tryout with 35 kids by yourself? Well, you yes. have to have done it, right? You know, like – as a varsity coach, of course, you're going to have assistance. But as a freshman coach, a lot of times it's like, hey, here's all these, you know, ninth graders, and they all think they're going to be D1 and NBA players. And somehow you got to pick 12 to 15 of them to make a team out of this. So, right. you know, I think it was a wonderful experience for me. And uh, as I said, I spent nine, nine years there. And our head coach left, and I would have loved to have gotten that head job. but. It wasn't going to happen, and the AD made it real clear he wanted a teacher in the building, and that was fine. And uh, right. uh, took that opportunity to say, "Hey, well, maybe if I want to be a head coach, I do need to move up the ladder." Um, and so I interviewed at Weston, which is just up the street from Westport, kind of arrival, but kind of almost a, a little brother sister kind of thing community to Westport, um, and. Uh, and I became the JV coach there and ultimately associate head coach for whatever that meant. Um, and uh, spent three years with the boys program there and actually interviewed for the girls position after my first year. Didn't get it. Came up again two years later and uh, interviewed again, was much better prepared, learned a lot from my first interview came in with PowerPoint presentations and a real plan rather than just answering questions and, and got the job. So nine right. years later, nine years later, here we are. Right. <laughs> and and what's, what's your biggest takeaway from all that? I think from that whole thing, from the beginning to the end. Well, I was, I, I think my, you know, I was really lucky to have opportunities like this before to learn and, and to grow and to work with some wonderful head coaches um but i learned you know i didn't make the same mistake in my second interview i made in my first i didn't you know i had to learn how to develop a philosophy and a plan um and i took all of that with me um i took a lot of my 
what we use in our summer camp business philosophy of core values. I brought that to the table. I'm a very big core values guy. We don't run our program on rules. We just run it on values. Right. Um, and so that was kind of my takeaway from, from that leading to my first year as a head coach. So let's dive into yeah. that. Let's dive into your coaching philosophy. I think that's a good subset here. Tell, 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 yeah. tell the listeners a little bit about your coaching philosophy because everybody's is a little different. And, in the, and here's, my, here's my theory with this is, you know, if you and I sat in a room and we had, we had paint and a canvas we w- and we painted the outside of the window, we would both have something that looks a little different. They might, both might be pretty. <laughs> so everybody can, everybody's coaching philosophy can be different. You can still have the same success with the kids and the winds and all that kind of stuff. Um, but what's your coaching philosophy? Well, as I said, I'm, I'm a big values guy. I'm a big believer in, uh, I'm involved in the kids' lives and someone who hopefully they see as someone who's always there to help them achieve their goals. Um, we're very person-based. Um, one of the things I learned along the way is for a school like ours, we have to have the best athletes in the school playing basketball. And me and my coaching staff are super involved in the community, in the basketball community in town. And it's part of our, it's our mission to grow that and to continuously monitoring and growing that. Um, And I know guys in bigger towns who look at me like I got three heads when I tell them what I'm doing, but this is what we have to do, have to do to be successful. Um, in our town. Um, right, you know, right, so right, right, right. I'm, I'm a big read and react guy. Um, knew nothing about it. Someone gave me the videos and I absorb it and I love it. I think it's a fantastic teaching offense and attacking offense. And we run five out read and react for the last number of years and we run it um, from seventh grade through high school varsity in Weston. Everyone runs that. Um, and that's sort of a non-negotiable. We can add things, we run quick hitters, tweak things for personnel, but we're all learning to pass, cut, fill, and sort of get in that philosophy. Um, and it works for us. I don't know if it would work for everyone else, but we've done what works for us. Right. And the thing is, you've tried it. Like it, 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 it's the whole experimental thing. If it hadn't worked, you would have known it, and then you would have tried something else. You know, um, I'm a big read and react guy too. And early in my career, I was a, I, you know, I was a motion guy. I ran. I, I mean, I won state titles when running swing and flex. So it, it, you can do it all sorts of different ways. Um, but you have to be willing to change with the game too, because the game has changed over the last, you know, thirty some years. Um, how do you practice plan? Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. How do you practice plan? Um, so every morning I, I sit down, I plan out meticulously our practices, time to the minute. Of course, my players will tell you that, you know, 20 minutes in, I'm not, I'm not always great about staying on that time plan, but <laughs> I try to figure out what we want, what we want to accomplish that day. Um, and that's the first thing I do for the practice plan is write down the goal for the day. Right. Um, because how can you devise a plan if you don't know what you're trying to accomplish, right? So, right. you know, if it's a, if it's a finishing around the rim day, we're gonna we're gonna gear our practices towards that, which is always an emphasis 
for us in the girls' game, it seems like that's the team that can finish around the rim are the teams that win consistently. Three-point shooting, all that comes and goes, but if you can finish around the rim, if you can get to the foul line, you're going to win games. So if, if that's our goal for the day, then, we'll, you know, we'll implement three or four different drills um, based around that, and that's the goal for the day. And we plan that out meticulously. And I'm a big believer, as I know a lot of coaches are, in trying to find out ways to make things competitive and score them. Yeah, it is. You know, one of my favorite things to do is 11-man drill, which I think many, if not most, coaches run. All right, we'll come um, back to we'll come back to that because I know that's on your list. We'll come back okay. to 11-man. We'll come back to 11-man. That's another question. I want to keep it separate. So, um, yeah. so if you could only do three things at practice, what would those three things be? Shoot, condition, and have fun. Okay, and then explain why. Well. I think you have to shoot every day and the more I do the longer I do this the more important I believe it becomes if you don't shoot every day I mean you got to put the ball in the hole at the end of the day if you don't do that you're not going to be a successful winning team so we try to shoot every day <laughs> you have to be in peak condition and every year your team's a little bit different some years I got a lot of girls coming off soccer season right very right. great condition that year you know maybe that year we don't have to do as much we're maintaining if I have a lot of girls who haven't been playing or they're volleyball players and I love my volleyball players, but they're not necessarily in aerobic basketball condition. Right. So that, that year, you know, like we did this year, we had to spend a little bit more time heading up. And the third thing, having fun, uh, you know, I can't emphasize that enough. Um, since we've had more fun, we've had more success. We've grown from 14 girls to 25 girls playing in our program. Um, and, you know, I think it's really important for that to be a component. And as I explained to the girls, and that's one of our core values is fun. It doesn't mean we're not working hard. We are. Right. right. We're working really hard. Right. But you can also have fun within that framework. And learning how to do that is sometimes a challenge for some kids. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dive back. Oops. I'm going to dive back into what we were talking about before with Pratt. So you say you you have a hard time staying on on task on time. Um, yeah. So have you have you thought of using the clock? Have you thought of like stopping? I mean, I agree. A lot of this that probably ninety percent of the stuff you've said, I've said I'm a hundred percent. I like shooting. I've over my career, I've figured out that that we need to do more of that in practice. We've done all sorts of stuff, but. I, something I found and I'm the same way I want to keep going and there's a point where you just got to leave it alone and move on <laughs> um so do, do, you, do you start a drill and then you look up and it's five minutes you want to do five minutes on boxing out and all of a sudden you look up it's 15 minutes is that what happens well we we do use the clock and okay. you know what I find where we where we do often I often get bogged down because obviously it's ultimately my responsibility right we're Bogged down is when we're working on some of our mostly our offensive sets. Yeah. Um, you know where now the intricacies. It's easy to you know we're doing shooting drills, we're doing transition drills. Yep. That's relatively easy to stay on time with. You know. I agree. Time that, you know. All right, we're going to do seven minutes of eleven man drill. We're going hard, hard, hard for seven minutes. When it's done, it's done. But you know when we get into those sets, even when I put time up on the board. There's always something to fix, I find, you know, like 
we're not getting the right angle on the screens, we're not making the right cuts, we're not squaring up, whatever it is that day, that's kind of where I get bogged down sometimes. Okay. I agree. I, I mean, yes, yes, I would agree. And the thing is anybody that has run read and react knows how, yes, it's, Oh my God, it makes my head hurt. When I start thinking about how you got to simplify. You have to simplify. Um, what's the hardest thing to teach? I think the hardest thing to teach and we've done it pretty well over the last few years, but is the attack mentality particularly being a read and react coach. I'm like, maybe we should call it read attack and react. I know there are variations of it, but teaching that mentality to kids who are not necessarily naturally aggressive um, is something that I think we find that's hard to do. And what do you, and what do you I'm going to dive into that. What do you, what do you mean by attack? So we, we teach every pass cut fill is an opportunity to score. If you want to just look pretty and pass the ball around the perimeter and have a lot of movement, that's great. But we're never going to score doing that. Um, but scoring in the half court, as we all know, sometimes at the high school level could be difficult. Um, so every, every pass is an opportunity to score. And we want every time we emphasize hitting the fill in our read and react rather than the stationary player. And hitting that fill has to be an opportunity. Even if you're not attacking off the dribble, there has to be a jab step. There has to be a square up, look to shoot, followed by a jab. Like these are things we need to do consistently every time. And kids who aren't playing ball year round or who aren't naturally um, aggressive athletes, they sometimes struggle with that. It's, I mean, I'm just going to take a, I'm going to take a second there and just let that seep in a little bit. That's the, I, I Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. That's like, I'm having a light bulb moment right now. Um, because I think a couple of things, first of all, I think defense is farther along at height for the most part, high school, you know, the elite high school is different, but for most high school right. defense is farther along than offense. I agree. Um, I think yeah. kids can shoot, but I'm not sure they can score. <laughs> Some of them can shoot. Um, and I, I, I mean, I think what you just described was my first year running read and react where we would do the right things, but we couldn't score. <laughs> You know, I mean, we won. Yep. yeah, we would pass, we would cut, we would fill. We it was like literally like they were just doing these moving things. If you could, if anybody could see me right now, my hands are just moving. They're just moving to the right spots. That's it. But they weren't looking to score. So I love that aggressive. Yeah, I think you're right. I'm gonna tell Rick that the next time. You, you need to rename this. It's not just read and react. It's read and react and attack or something. Yeah. Right. Like there's his and, next, and, there's his next course. There's his next course, something like that. Yes. And when you get talented basketball players who do look for that, all of a sudden, all this movement creates, right? These wonderful lanes and angles to attack the basket. Um, uh, I have graduating now, a young woman, Katie Orfis would have gone over 1500 points if she, she got injured at the end of this year, unfortunately, but every time she caught the ball, she was looking, she just needed that maybe 12 to 24 inches of, of angle of separation. And she was into the lane, right? You know, like, and that's what we're trying to get. And, and we've got several other kids who, who have also um, sort of embraced that attack philosophy. Do you go, do you, do you push? So here's my thought with this too, a little bit. And we've, we, I was having a meeting with my coaches yesterday and it's like, 
is your thought that um, do you push the ball? Because my thought is we push the ball a little bit more. It might teach a little bit more of that aggressiveness. We, we do push the ball. We're okay. a big back break transition team. We're always looking for early offense. And if we don't get it, you know, then we'll go into something else. And our signal, I'm, I always put a lot of my point guards. I've had two point guards in the last seven years. Um, right. So that's great. And um, When they back dribble, we know that's when we're going into our set. Um, but we're looking to pu- push that ball. Set it up for we run uh, the Tom Izzo Michigan State break. I've been using that for years. I love it. So explain um, that to me. Explain that to me. It's a, I mean, it's a numbered break. Um, as you know, Izzo was an assistant, had a wonderful point guard named Magic Johnson, um, and lots, <laughs> of, lots of great players since then. If we have a Magic Johnson, we would run it really well. But, right, um, right. My first year, I had a 5'11 point guard, Christina Welsh, who did an amazing, amazing job with that. We were 11-1 and one in the 12 games she played that year. Um, we, so it's really a numbered break. You're, you're two in, the ball always goes to your point guard. And we teach the only time that's not true is on a steal. So every time we get the ball, make or miss on a rebound, made basket, we're getting it out, we're getting it wide to our point guard, who's going to, take one or two dribbles and try and get to some part of the center circle. Even if they're not dead center, we teach touch some part of the middle circle. Then your court's going to be spread correctly. We go left and right fly. Those are our wings. So they're getting wide. Um, I don't know if your court has a little disc where volleyball posts go, but we, we always try and get them outside of those volleyball posts. We use that as a marker on the court to get That's wide. That's a great idea. We do. We do. That's a great idea. That's a great idea. Never thought of that. And then, yeah, I think in the video, I haven't seen it actually in a few years, but uh, Tom Izzo has a wonderful video on this. I think you just use cones. You can use a chair or whatever. So they get wide, and then your four and five are the only people that have to make decisions. First big out is your rim runner, dead center. No more than one step to either side um, is how we teach it. And then your second big becomes a trailer, slightly opposite ball. So it's a simple thing. We run it. We do it in practice quite a bit. Um, He he has some wonderful progressions in his video we still use. And we practice it. We go six times up and down the floor. One is point guard taking it to the hole. Two is hitting your rim runner. Then you go to your wings, three and four for layups. And then you go to your wings to a skip pass to the opposite wing for a three. So we get up and down the court six times real fast and bring the next five in. And that's kind of one of the things we do in practice, maybe every other day to get our right. transition game on track. So, so here's my, do you get a lot of layups with four and five? Depends on personnel. So, okay. My first year, I had a wonderful point guard, as I was mentioning, tall, like Magic Johnson. Um, and I had a really athletic four who um, later was a Division three track, track athlete, Ellie Martin, and she could beat other bigs up and down the floor every time. Right. And we would get four layups for her every game. Talk about six to eight easy points before you start, right? Right, <laughs> I mean, you know, right. That was a given. Um, since then, you know, it's been personnel driven. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, I have a wonderful wing player 
probably future college player, and I'm debating put it, making her the rim runner this year, even though she's really kind of a guard at heart, but she's 5'10 with super long arms and can jump. And I've been debating in my head trying her at, uh, as a rim runner the last uh, – kind of been running in my head the last week or two that might be a way to get some easy shots yeah so here's the here's the reason i asked this question is we've always tried to have a rim runner and i've obviously had some professional kids guys that have been my rim runners those are you know right. like you said it's personnel but but we're thinking of going five out we're thinking of because it will be we'll be right into the read and react you know mm-hmm. um not sending that rim runner because we don't tend to get a lot at the rim I don't know if it's because it's, you know, higher level boys, high school boys. But we, we, we went back and charted over the last couple of years. We don't, even though that guy's cutting, we're not getting it because they're taking that away. Um, so what we're thinking is staying because it goes right into the read and react of keeping five out, leaving space, and then teaching them to attack. So what they're going to do is they're going to run at those three-point shooters, right? Um, mm-hmm. Especially if you have bigs that can shoot, which we do. Um, you know, like that's a nice luxury. <laughs> it's like the Bucks. It's like the Bucks, kind of like the Bucks. You know how the Bucks kind of leave space. Obviously, yeah. they're the best player in the world, in my opinion, right now. But <laughs> um, they leave space for him and everyone else is ready to shoot. Um, and especially if your girls attack, it just might be something to think about. Like maybe, especially if your rim runner can shoot a three, great. Then they're gonna. What are they gonna? The girls are gonna run at her when she catches it, especially if she hits one, um, and then right. she can go around them. Um, and then you can get easy buckets. So it's something we're playing with a little bit. We tried it a little bit last year and it worked. Um, but you know, I, 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 yeah. And, and, and we, we teach corners. We don't teach like we, our two and our threes, just like whoever can get down first and we'll put mm-hmm. two on the same side because they'll run at that person and then he can, he can drive. And then if they stop that drive, he can kick back out. Cause he kind of like banana cut behind. Um, but again, you need, you need shooters to be able to do that. Um, if you got your big can hit a six footer, then you can't really, then you have to have a rim runner. Um, right. And that's yeah. kind of where we've, yeah. kind of where we, although if I use, if I, if I use this girl, Kate Joyce as a, as a rim runner, you know, I do have more options because she can step out and hit a three. Right. Um, and you, so- maybe you give her, you give her that specific rule of staying either wide or rim running. And then all of a sudden, if she stays high, the other girls know that she has the, then they have the option of, oh, crud, the space is open. Because it's all about leaving that space. As soon as she cuts, she's taking someone with her. Um, sometimes, yeah. Yeah, or sometimes she's not, and then you're, <laughs> then you're getting a layup, which is great. Um, right. We already did that one. Um, okay, if you could talk to one coach for an hour, who would it be and why? Ooh. I think it would have to be Coach Wooden. Um, okay. I mean, there's just so much there. Here's this guy who was an All-American player, Midwestern guy, and then went to UCLA. Didn't struggle, but he didn't step in and start winning championships right away. You know, so he got some. He got some players. He got some players. Don't realize. <laughs> And, but, you know, he had, I don't remember exactly the, the timeline, but he was there a number of years as, you know, sort of the second um, the second fiddle. They lost off into, I think it was Cal Berkeley, um, and uh, then just kept plugging away, 
started getting the best players in the country. He won with post players. He won without bigs. Um, he did it so many different ways, different parts of the country. I think it's a fascinating man. Yes, I yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I my list is about ten long on that. Um, if if there's, I love this question. So that everyone kind of gives me a different answer on this one. If there's one coaching moment, so in your entire coaching career, if there's one coaching moment that we could dive into that might help coaches that are listening, is there one moment that would that we could just dive into? It doesn't have to be the the, the most you know successful or worse. It could be a success. It could be a failure. It could be whatever that we could dive into that, that some of the listeners could take maybe a golden nugget from. I think I would have to say it was a low moment after um, my fourth year, we went 0 and 20. Um, we hit rock bottom. Um, the athletic director wasn't sure he was bringing me back, which right. I understood. Yeah. We had, four, we had 14 girls in our program and like five of them hadn't really played ball before. They were just recruited by their friends who played, who, you know, right. said, Hey, we have a JV team too. We, you know, come play. So it was a, a really low moment and obviously spent a lot of time soul searching that, Late February, because we didn't obviously didn't make any postseason, right? Right, right. Late February, March, a lot of time soul searching, talking with my assistants, talking with my friends, talking with my AD, um, who ultimately wanted to know how I was going to make the program better. Right. Um, hey, everybody, I hope you're enjoying the podcast as much as I am couple things you could do for us um, if you're really liking these please go over and subscribe and link we would really do appreciate that it does mean a lot to us we would also ask that you go over and check out teachhoops.com make a commitment to your coaching say that i am going to become a better coach this community is there it helps us keep the lights on a coach unplugged but it also you know has resources and videos and i would put it up second to none on the on the web um, a lot of these a lot of these sites are stagnant. I am there. I'm answering emails. I've already got calls for tomorrow. I am in there. I'm in the community. I'm there to help you. So go over and check it out. All right, let's get back to the podcast. And they had some tough kids and families. Uh, anyway, it was a very difficult time. And I just decided that I had to do it my way. I was going to go down and, you know, I was sort of trying to play the middle. I'm a really passionate, enthusiastic guy, um, loud on the sideline. Not everyone, especially young women, love that. Right. Um, I I'm boisterous. I'm, you know, even when things are going great, you know, I'm chatting with the officials, whether good or bad. Right. Um, but I'm just a loud, enthusiastic, boisterous guy. And... I decided I was going to have to do it my way. I was trying to, like, in that 0-20 season, pull back a little bit, you know. And, and, and you know, some of that was good because it's really hard to go 0-20. Um, and, and, you know, it's, 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 it, 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 it tests your resilience. It definitely does. Yes, it does. Our closest loss was nine points. I mean, these weren't even close games. You know, I, I probably our average deficit was 22 points. I don't even remember. But anyway, I just decided I was, I was going to have to do it my way. And 
you know, I hadn't really failed at things before in my life. And if I was going to go down, I was going to go down giving it all I had and being myself because that's, you know, in my life pretty well worked for me for most things. Um, I married up, had great kids. Why couldn't I do this? Right. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. And, and that, that was kind of the moment. I just like I decided and I said that to my AD. It was a Mark Berkowitz, a wonderful guy. I've been recognized by the state of Connecticut. Great athletic director. Here's the plan. I said, I already know we're going to be better next year. My sophomores are going to be juniors. Right. And my incoming freshmen are part of the program that me and my assistant coaches put together for the middle school kids and what we call our travel program. Right. Um, they know the system. I've got the good athletes in that class coming in to play basketball. We're already better. And he looked at me like I was crazy, but nodded and said, okay, you know. <laughs> right. Right. So. No, no. I, I mean, yes, I think I think everybody that's been successful at some point has had that moment. I mean, I we, so, you know, I've been very blessed. I've had great players. You know, we've won 80 percent of my games that I've coached at the high school. I, I've been so blessed. Trust me. Great, mm-hmm. great players make you look like a great coach. But my first year, we we refer to it as the streak in the program. We, we, we lost 10 in a row, and the only reason we stopped the streak was we played the same conference team at the beginning of the streak and the end of the streak, and they weren't very good. They were worse than us. <laughs> so <laughs> so we, the 10-game the losing streak is referred to. It's in that stretch. And, I, I mean, I've told this story on the podcast before. I remember sitting with my assistant, and we in the locker room after we had lost our last game of the season, I go, I can't do this. Like we're seven and 14. I can't, I mean, I just, and he says, well, Steve, you got a plan. It's going to take time. Da, 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 you know? And then eventually he got me back on the bus to go home, but it was like, I mean, that was, a, and then you're right. What happens then is you sit and look in the, you can do one of two things. You can blame the issues. You can blame the parents, you can blame the kids, you can blame, which right. I initially I'm married to a psychologist. Initially you do that, but then you move on and it's like, okay, now how can I fix this? <laughs> um, so we spent, you're probably like you, we spent the next nine months going, all right, this needs to change. We need to do this. We need to do this. We need to do this. And we did some stuff that we're still not, we're not doing and we're doing some stuff that we're still doing, you know, 25 years later. So, um, but you have to have a plan. You got to come up with a roadmap to, to make it change or it's going to stay the same <laughs> or you better leave. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, we, we kind of did the same thing. Like we kept doing some of the things we were doing because we knew they were the right things and changed some things. Um, and, but mostly I, I think the, for us, getting kids in Weston, girls in Weston, we, there was a tradition of boys excellence in basketball, but not in girls. Um, my predecessors hadn't done anything with the younger kids in town and getting them involved in basketball and loving the game and wanting to play and wanting to be part of our high school program, you know, which was a challenge when your high school team stinks and everyone in town says it and knows it, um, it was a challenge, but that, that's what we had to do. And, you know, eventually it, it, it paid off. Our numbers got better. Our record got significantly better. Um, and I care just as much about the numbers. I'm just as proud of the fact that we have 25 girls who come want to play on our team. And we haven't had cuts in several years. And I try very hard not to. 
um, just because of where our numbers are and have been. But I'm just as proud of that as I am that, you know, the season before this past one, we made the state final four in our, uh, in our class size, you know, and right. I'm just as proud of that. And I really mean it when I say that. I, right. No, I, and the thing is, <laughs> what I try to tell our kids, our boys, especially, I, you know, I say, you know, what's great about high school athletics, the reason I haven't left, the reason I'm still at the same school, same reason I'm still, you know, bleeding green because we're green and we're green and white. The reason I'm doing that is because there's something special about high school sports. There's something special about playing with your friends and doing something. I said, this is something you, you, you will never have this again in your life. You might have a great team at work or you might have a great team in your house with your family, but you're never going to do a diverse group like this come together and have one goal. It is, it is even in college, it doesn't happen. It is the, it is the best thing ever. It is like, I tell people it's the day I met my wife, the day my kids were born and the day I was able to win state championships. Cause it's something you just can't buy at target. <laughs> you know, it, 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 it takes hard. It, it didn't happen on that Saturday in, in, in front of all those people. It happened since you were in fifth grade kind of thing. It's that right. progression. Right, a hundred percent, and I said all the time to the the girls, and I, I don't know what they think. They probably think I know they think I'm crazy, but you know, hey, what could be better than this? Right, right. And that's you when know? it gets hard. I, I, that, that, and I think it's important. I think you and I, being coaches that are in the older side, we know that right. they hear you, they acknowledge, they laugh at you, but they deep down, when things get hard, when things get like tough. They, that, that's when they'll remember that. That's when it's like, Oh, remember all oh, this is what, you know, you're, you're playing for that, for that teammate. Um, do you have any superstitions coach? Well, I have minor ones. I, I think they're just more habits than I'm not a really a superstitious guy. I mean, I do like my two water bottles on the scores table in the right place, you know, little, little things. Like that, I have to stand to the right of my assistant coaches when the national anthem's being played. Oh my god! Oh my god! Maybe you're, they are. Oh my god! That's like, you're the first coach I've actually heard. I have. I'm. I'm kind of superstitious. I'm not more on, and it's more about rituals for me. Like I'm the last one I get on the bus. Like I literally will get off the bus and get back on. I have to be the last one on the bus. It's like we're closing. We're leaving school and we're going to work now, kind of thing. And I have to stand in, and they'll move me if I'm in the wrong spot. Like, and I'll move, you know, when the national anthem's going, I move, um, I think it's on home or there's a word that ever, they know I'm moving before it's done. It's just right before it's almost over. And they know I'm moving up and down the line at that point. And it's like, yeah, it's funny, but it, but it's, it's just a routine. I just do it because I, I personally think it makes the boys feel better. Like they know coach is going to walk in the locker room and go to the bathroom and then come talk to us. You know, kind of. <laughs> no, but if I don't I do it, they say rituals, something. <laughs> rituals is a great word, I think, rather than superstitions, because I think that's what they are. I mean, I'm, I'm a summer camp guy. No, no one does rituals and traditions more than summer camps, right? Right, right, so, right, right. Yes, and, and like, so I think it's, there's comfort in doing those same things. There's, uh, you know, a comfort to all of us in no way. All right, I'm gonna have. Coach is going to give us two or three minutes to celebrate this big win, and then we're going to meet, and we're going to talk about it, and we're going to kind of celebrate it and feel great in our own way, and then we're going to walk out all together because that's what we do and meet our parents and friends who are waiting to take us home. Yep. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a ritual. I, 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 and there's no way I think it has any effect on us winning a game. My wife laughs at me, like, why are you wearing that tie again? Because we've won the last seven games wearing the tie. If I don't wear the tie, <laughs> the boys will know I'm not wearing the tie, first of all. And it's like, of I don't course. think I'm going to lose if I'm not wearing the tie. But it's, yes, I, ritual is a better way of saying it. But I have a lot, yeah, r- r- rituals are really, and you're right. I have a friend who worked at a summer camp in northern wisconsin and he you know we were trying to get we were trying to get our boys to go it was like a six-week camp it was one of those long ones and it's like it's just not gonna work when you got an right. boy anymore um because he's just doing too many things but we would go up and he would show all the rituals and all the stuff and that's just, yes if you worked at a summer camp it's like <laughs> rituals are king um oh, i mean we've been doing the you know I've been at my uh, my camp where I'm now the associate director. I have literally been there since 1972, um, and been working there for this will be I think 41 or 42 years. Like <laughs> so, right. I mean, we are doing the same thing, and you know, it's really cool. And you know, we have we have parents um whose campers now attend grandchildren now attend and they right. love the fact and, and how long do they go for um, most of our kids come for seven weeks we do have half summer options um so it's real sort of traditional yeah that's camping. i'm telling you those are dying breeds i think there's like two or three in other words i mean that still do it that long yeah there are some in the midwest of course there's many more in the in new england and yeah. in new york state you know and fortunately right. we've been able to buck the trend we've grown in my yeah. time there from about 140 campers to 425 so and part of it um, and part of it is and part of it is it's it's getting the kids out of chicago it's getting the kids out of new york city it's getting the kids out of to see the off world their phones Steve. getting yeah. them off their phones yes yes oh <laughs> yeah no cell service like i have wi-fi in my office but we have no cell service around and it's wonderful to see Young people, they're interacting, oh, yeah. they're hiking, they're camping, they're living in cabin with 10 of their friends and two college-age counselors, and they have to talk to one another. I love you know? that. And I love that. I love that. My bro- my, I took my son fishing in Canada, God, three or four years ago, and there was no cell service, and it was like, <laughs> we both, you, you go through this like one-day withdrawal thing, and then all of a sudden it gets, uh, you know, it's like, ooh, look at the world, you know? Um, yeah. <laughs> it's a wonderful thing. Um, all right. So I'm going to go through and, um, there's a couple other things at the end here, but I'm going to do my rapid fire. So I don't know if you guys right. do us before I'm going to ask you yeah. a question. And then when we get to the drill one, well, that one won't be rapid fire, but, um, what is your favorite brand of basketball? Like Spalding, Under Armour, Spalding. Nike, Spalding. Okay. Spalding. Why? I just love the feel. It's what we grew up with. It's the only ball we're allowed to use in our state tournaments. It's I'm a Spalding guy. Yep, that's the key. I, we use whatever they're using at the state tournament because I tell the boys if we we want to use the ball that you're going to use in the most important game you play in. <laughs> um, yep. What's what's one word to describe your ideal player? Aggressive. Uh, if you could go to one sporting event in the world, what would it be and why? Ooh. I would love to go to an NCAA Final Four. The Saturday, I get you get two games for the price of one. Monday night, I can watch on TV, but I would love to go to the Final Four games. It's unbelievable. I took my son to Minneapolis. I hadn't been to I hadn't been in like fifteen years. 
Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Are you a member of the National Association of Basketball Coaches? I am. Okay, I so am. You, you, gotta, know, you can get a ticket through them. You get a ticket. I know. I know. I'm going to do it. You got to go. You got to go. It's it's so – I mean, him and I had so much. We were going to go to Atlanta next year, but it's just not going to work out with our spring breaks. But um, him and I are going to go. We're, it's going to be our thing. It's so much fun. Do you see the game better on TV? Absolutely. But if there's right. nothing like – I mean – First of all, we saw unbelievable games this year. I mean, it was crazy. Oh, it was great. Yeah. It was great. And it's like the fun thing is if you're an um, NABC member, you get a ticket. You can buy a ticket if you've been a member long enough, a high school coach. But then you, you're you basically sitting with other coaches. <laughs> so yeah, I, got to, I got to sit next to a coach, the young coach, uh, Jack, who I interviewed. He's in Milligan. I mean, it was great. It's like in, in, in Saturday, Monday was different because people had sold their tickets by that point, you know. Right. Um, right. But Saturday was great, you know, and then you got Sunday to recoup. Okay. So you should put that on your bucket list. But definitely put that on your uh, Absolutely. It's in. Um, fa- uh, favorite pregame meal? So, <laughs> this is funny because I almost always i go to our local peter's market wonderful local people daughter played for me and for away games um i get chicken cutlet and for home games roast beef and cheese it's that's uh, one of my uh, traditions right oh, i love that i love that um what's uh one thing you do to relax um i would do I do a lot of things. I mean, I love to watch games on TV where I don't really have a rooting interest, um, as opposed to even in the NCAA tournament when I'm rooting for my team in the pool. See, I, I don't love- fill out a pool anymore. I don't fill out a pool anymore for that sole purpose because all year yeah. I'm like intense and watching film and doing this. And people go, "Why right. don't you fill out a bracket anymore?" I said, "I'll pick the winner. I'll pick the winner." Like I picked for I had Virginia this year. I, I did it. I did predict it. Um, but I. I I don't, I me and half happy. the country. <laughs> I'm quite happy I won my pool. We have a little uh, intra-team pool where the winner gets to run a practice as they see fit on a date I choose. But this year it was nice to see the old coach knew more than his player. Uh, <laughs> right, right. It and, was, uh, it, yeah, it was, it, yeah. Anyway, that's why I do it because then I watch all the games as a fan and it's so much more fun. Um, the end of the – you know, I love at the end of the day, I'll just click on a West Coast Conference or Pac-12 game, you know, like random game. And, you know, next thing I know, I'm watching, you know, St. Mary's and San Diego State or whoever. And just relaxing, but watching, you know, what the, what these teams are doing. And the other thing I do is I'm the uh, I'm a 56-year-old guy who still plays video games. So <laughs> really? I like to relax after. Yeah, usually golf game is my favorite because that's pretty relaxing. I, I love that. I, I used to fish and hunt a lot more. That's my kicker. So I'm talking to this coach in Alaska. I'm going, if I come up, I'm going fishing because, like, I'm going fishing. If I, you know, I used to do that a lot more before I became a coach. Um, uh, what's one coaching technique you consider important? Passion. Okay. Uh, best pe- best basketball player of all time. Oh, you know, I never really saw him play except as an old man. But 
just based on what he did. And I love all the more modern guys, but I got to go back to Will Chamberlain. Okay. And what's the best player you've seen in person? I saw Michael Jordan play his rookie year in Madison Square Garden in the Nike seats from the uh, working sporting goods store. And that was unbelievable. And he just went off. He's so good. Yeah. Yeah. Michael's Michael's winning this poll over the last year and a half. Um, All right. Let's go over your favorite drill. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I've kind of changed this over the last couple of months. So I've asked every coach their favorite drill. What I'll do is I'm going to have you describe it. And then if you have it anywhere on paper or anything, I'm going to have you send it. I'll put down in the show notes and then people can click on and have it. It's a kind of a, I'm just trying to collect it. So it's like, okay, well, they got, got to listen to get the favorite drill kind of thing. Okay, so what's your favorite drill and why? And then describe it. No question, my favorite drill is 11-man drill. Okay. Um, for those who don't know, and I think most coaches do, it's constant three-on-two fast break, high-energy transition drill. Um, and we just – the kids love it. I love it. We want to play fast. We want to be aggressive. We want to, you know, like I said earlier, I believe teams that can finish at the rim are teams that are going to win basketball games at our level, whether it's, you know, matters, whether it's girls or the whatever. I, I think that's how you play winning basketball. So what we do differently, and I sort of came up with this a few years ago, there, there's very few things I've ever invented like all of us coaches we beg borrow and steal right but (laughs) (laughs) do you want to be a good coach that's the only way you're a good coach it's like you take a little bit of everybody this this one i did come up with i wanted to make it even more competitive even though it was our kids probably favorite drill we started scoring it steve and our standard system is just one point for everything so made basket you get a point assist you get a point rebound a point a loose ball you get a point and we even rebound the makes those still count for points because we want to teach aggressiveness um block shot deflection steal um and then what we'll do is we'll tweak it so if we want to work on shot fake and finish that day we might make a, a shot fake drive and finish worth two or three points on a given day um we might make a clean rebound with a good outside pivot, clean, clean outlet. We might make that worth multiple points that day. So we can sort of tweak it to what we're working on. We want to say a three in transition is worth four, whatever. We just can, can tweak it that way. And it becomes really competitive. And it's funny when you see the kids' competitiveness am- amping up and all of a sudden they're, they're really contesting outlets hard and they're, stepping in and stealing these and they're so not how do you how do you keep are you have two teams going i mean how do how do you differentiate no, it's, it's individual um and one of the great things is is sometimes the you know the kids that aren't the most talented kids can do really well in something like this because they go in they do some grunt work they grab some a couple of rebounds a couple of loose balls get their hands on a couple of balls defensively so you know maybe they end up with, with four or five points and i'm like hey there's your contribution to the team right there. And our leading scorer isn't always at the top of this drill. Now, typically kids who are athletic and aggressive will be, who can also play ball. But, um, you know, that's kind of how we scored. It's all individual. I'll have a manager doing it on the side. 
beginning of the year, I'll be calling out the points until they get the idea if they haven't done it before. Um, and it really works for us. And the kids amp up, you know, and you see them, you know, make a steer, they'll yell over, score that coach, you know, like, <laughs> like I want my points. Right. And I think that's great. And do you, what do you do for the winner? Does the winner get something or is there just, it's just, it's just um, bragging rights? So some days we will, we'll make it a, a reward of they get to do whatever, call water break whenever they want. Maybe, you know, if we're doing a little conditioning, maybe I get them out of some conditioning. Um, you know, it could be most anything. Some days it, it's nothing, but I'll announce it um, ahead of time um and they'll really compete for it but it is great to see those sort of bragging rights which i think you will see very often with boys sometimes with our girls we have to bring it out a little bit and that's right. what i, I think well, I love boys it. boys will eat you like if they think yeah. it's survival they'll <laughs> it's like right so it is it's in i you know men are from mars women are from venus there's definitely a difference of coaching um and I, and I love both, although I have no desire at this point in my life to go back and coach boys. Right. Um, I do coach boys tennis in the spring at a different school. And, that, you know, it's different. I'm it's always just different. Back. It's like, yeah. And I've, I've coached both. I've, I've coached both, too. And it's just it's just a different thing. And you have to feed the monster differently is what I tell yeah. people. It's just that that's all it is. It's um you know, they both have their pluses, but it's just kind of feeding each one of them. Um, what's, um, what's helped one thing that helped you become a better coach? Learning to be a better listener. Um, I think that a lot of times the girls will try to tell you things that they're thinking or feeling without actually telling you. And you know, I think you have to find ways to really try and hear what they're saying. Um, one interesting thing I did this year that I, I really liked was I, I did a little session on coachability and gave them some handouts about what other people were saying, different coaches and athletes about being coachable. And then I asked them to tell me What's the one thing, tell me the one thing you'd like your coaches to know? I didn't say me specifically because I included the, the freshman and JV players. What is the one thing? And we got some great stuff out of that. And kids, you know, telling us about anxiety they have. Or one girl that I, I've known for a number of years was dyslexic. I didn't know that. That wasn't right. an eight I had. Um, and so it was just great. And I think by writing it down and having them sort of clarify it, it really helped me understand them a little, a little bit better. Well, and um, I think it makes them understand. Yeah. Yes. I, I think we do some, we do a couple of little things like that too. It's hard. It's like, you know, we go on trips with our guys and stuff and we'll, we'll end up with somebody like, well, you know, maybe we're at the airport and the woman's a little short and she's, I go, you don't know what her day was guys. You don't know what, I mean, don't get me wrong. We all have our bad days, but you don't know what just happened to her. You don't know why she's that way. She might be that way because she got in a fight with her daughter or maybe she's not feeling well, or, you know, you don't know other people's journeys. <laughs> right. So you have a little right. empathy and it's like, especially for teenage boys, the empathy part's really hard. Um, we work really hard on teaching that with each other sure. and other people, you know, um, it, it's very difficult. Sure. 
and that makes a lot of sense. And I think the girls may be naturally a little more empathetic, but, you know, they also get caught up in their own world of friends, basketball, socialized, social uh, media, colleges, SATs, SAE prep courses, and, you know, there are other coaches because at our school, we have a very successful athletic program like everyone's competing for the same athletes in a way sounds right. weird but i'm sure you understand that yep. and uh, you know there's so much going on in there that find that isn't always always easy and they're getting pulled they're getting pulled from their parents they're getting pulled on college they're getting pulled from their boyfriend or girlfriend they're getting pulled in social oh, yeah. media they're getting pulled in so many directions it's like we had a yeah, yeah. social media and right where you know the drama his building and there's just a lot going on yep. in their lives that I think when you and I were, were growing up, we didn't necessarily have all of that. Right. And I've told our boys, I, I've had this discussion. I said, <laughs> when you get older, you have time is the most precious resource you have. And I said, when you get older, you just don't deal with that stuff anymore. Like if you're going to bring me drama or bring me heartache or stuff, I'm just too old. I'm just not going to deal with you. I mean, I, my circle is going to get smaller. Like, cause I can get right. bigger. I mean, and, and, and we have this discussion as a team. I said, you think you have lots of friends. Let me explain what a friend is. A friend is someone you can call and you haven't spoken to in a year and they will be at your front step. That's a friend. You know, these are acquaintances. <laughs> and, you know, if you can get a handful of friends in your life, you're really good. You know, people that got your back. Um, so that we have that I whole discussion. This is a conversation I have with my kids. For years, right. and my son a lot like me is kind of that way. And my daughter had a new best friend every week growing up. And I'm like, right? I'm like, Molly, no, no, no. You, you know, you might, you know, you can only have a handful of really true friends because of what that requires in relationships. Right. Um, trust you know. and building. And it's all that stuff. Yes. Um, yeah. What, what's the best game you've seen in person? Best. <sighs> game I've seen in person um well if it doesn't have to be basketball I was no. uh there in uh 1976 when Chris Chambliss did a walk-off to give the Yankees the first pennant in 12 years um did a walk-off against the Kansas City Royals top of the or bottom of the ninth that was unbelievable moment my dad kept my brothers and i from running onto the field um, <laughs> we couldn't even get out of the parking lot for about three hours i showed up at work at school the next day bleary-eyed and it was a moment i'll never forget and it was great i was able to share it you know with, with my dad who's gone now and my brothers and uh unbelievable game yeah. down up most of the game george brett hall of famer hit a three-run homer to tie it and then chambliss went with the home run in the ninth uh, yeah, those are moments you know, you, you you don't get back. What's your favorite quote or saying? Well, I have a couple. One is, uh, "You're not getting worse. If you're not getting better. You're getting worse." Um, I know it's a Joe Paterno who's a hot button right now. It's a Joe Pop quote, but uh, a constant improvement. I'm a, I'm a big believer in that, and I, I try and get better at everything I do every year. Yeah. A better coach, a, a better camp director, a better husband, a better dad. Um, and along those lines, my other one is good enough is never good enough. Like, so 
yeah, like we're rolling along in our camp business and everything's good, but every year we try and make the experience even better. Not necessarily to keep our enrollment up just because we want these kids to have the, this amazing summer that they're going to remember forever. Right. So, basketball, right? You only get, I tell the senior, you only get one senior year. You don't get to repeat this. So let's make it fun and fabulous. We'll win as many games as we can. But most of all, I want you guys to have this amazing year you can remember forever. Right. Yeah. And that's like, that's part of my speed. It's like, I can tell us, still tell you about half the games my senior year. And that was a long time ago. Um, what's <laughs> one book you would recommend? Um, I love John Wooden, the Colony Coach. Um, that's a great, great book. But I'm also uh, some lesser known ones. Um, I love John Kleinstein. Um, March the Madness, but I love even more being sort of my personality. This book about the Patriot League, The Last Amateurs. Uh, I haven't read that one. I haven't read that one. Is that good? You gotta get it, Coach. You okay. follow the Patriot League, but it just is so. It's probably closer to a high school experience, but it's not. It's Division One basketball, but it's not the ACC or the Big Ten or the Big East or any of these. It's you know, some scholarships, some non-scholarship schools, um, and kids who likely aren't going to the NBA, but who are using um, this to get a great education at, at some wonderful schools like Lehigh and Bucknell and um, Naval. Uh, Colgate, Colgate, Colgate. My yeah. son's looking. My son's looking. My son's obviously not going to play basketball there, but my son's look. Colgate and Bucknell are on his list. Great schools in that league. Holy Cross. It's like yeah, holy Ivy God. League schools. They're great schools. Um, yeah. So yeah. it's a really good book, and I, I think that you and, and others would would love it. And I'm also uh, love anything by David Halberstam, um, who wrote The Best and the Brightest about the Vietnam War and the leaders. He wrote The Breaks of the Game. And he wrote a great little book that I loved called The Amateurs, um, which was about rowing, which is a sport I have zero interest in. <laughs> um, and know nothing about that it was about these guys and their quest to make the Olympic team and succeed in the Olympics. And it talks about their dedication and what a tough sport it is. It reminded me a little bit of wrestling and that it takes hours and hours of dedication in the dead of winter when no one's watching. Very different from a high profile basketball experience. Right. And, and I think this is important for listeners too is I don't just, I mean, if you, if you could see me right now behind me is all my books, I don't just read basketball books because I think if you're a good coach or a good teacher, you can learn something. And then also I think like the, what you're describing, you can learn from other people's journeys. Trust me. Um, and it, I, and, and it's also intriguing, but I think it's uh, you know, you gotta be a lifetime learner if you want to be a really good coach, I think. All right. Any party you're, you're going to, you've made the hall of fame coach. You're probably in the top five longest podcast, but this was so good. I didn't <laughs> stop. Um, do you have any part <laughs> now it's all right. Do you have any parting words? Just to anyone who's struggling, you know, stay with it. And, uh, you know, you can turn around a, a program. No one was in worse shape than we were. Six, seven years ago at, at 0 and 20 and 14 girls, and we just worked our tails off and were able to turn it around. And um, 
I think anyone can do it. You just have to stay with it and trust your instincts and learn from your mistakes. And I think you got to have a plan. You got to have a plan. You yeah. can't just think it's going to change. You know, what's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different outcome. You, you got to come up with a plan. I don't, you know, and that's where you got to, you know, find a mentor, get a plan, try some things. If they don't work, dump them. Um, I think you and I are prime examples of that. That's this didn't work. So dump it, try this, you know, and eventually you find your secrets. I call it my secret sauce. You find the secret sauce and you don't want to leave. You know, it's, it's working, you know, right. McDonald's is still cranking out. Yeah. You have to have a vision for what it's going to look like. The great chefs don't just throw stuff together. They think about what they want the final, the final meal product to be, right? And then right. they figure they get together and the right techniques. So I agree 100%. I love that. All right. Well, thanks, Coach. I appreciate you taking your, your Sunday. Hey, Coach, I hope you enjoyed that. Make sure you subscribe and like. Leave a written review. We would love those. Also, I would ask that you go down and think about joining teachhoops.com. I know you've been thinking about it. It's like, oh, should I do it? It's a lot of money. It's like, trust me, it will pay for itself. I would not, I, you know, I have partners I have to pay, but it is worth every penny. So go over and check it out. Um, and then if you're going to do any shopping, click that Amazon link down below. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.